On today's show, I'm going to be talking with Lavendine, that is JC and Jana, twin sisters who have a new song called Rapture, and we're going to talk about that and what special meaning it has for people today, and hopefully just learn about their journey from Oklahoma to Nashville and back, and what's on the horizon for them going into 2021. So welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Is it too early to start thinking of 2021? Because I know a lot of people just want to put 2020 behind them. (laughs) You know, not for Jan and I, because we've always been forward thinkers. So uh, I think we have a hard time sometimes stopping and smelling the roses. So it's pretty common for us to be thinking on into the next year. So, yeah, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but that's the way our brains work. Well, with all that's going on in the world, you know, especially since earlier this year with the pandemic and just so much going on in people's lives, it seems like the song Rapture uh, is pretty timely. You know, what's the meaning behind that? Well, the personal meaning for us would be going through struggles in this life and trying to lean on something that could help you through those struggles. You know, there's struggles outside of the coronavirus. We've had our own battles you know, individual battles for many years, a lot of health troubles, relationship struggles, and we've always leaned on God, and uh, we just felt led, um, I want to say back in 2011 or 12, to write a song that was a hope that was probably bigger than anything, and that's the coming of our Lord, and we wrote that song not realizing the timing of it, how it would um, affect now, and just it's just interesting how when you do things, you don't even realize what you're doing is going to affect many years down the road. So for us, our greatest hope would be God returning and delivering us from all these struggles we face in this world. Well, it sounds like there's, you know, one, on the one hand hope, and on the other hand, there's just so much turmoil. How do both of you, yeah. you know, retain a sense of hope when it seems like so many things are outside of our control? Well, You know, I think as human beings, we naturally want to reach and grab for things here in the natural, whether it's a husband, a best friend, you know, a sibling. You want to get on the phone and call and say, make me feel better. But I think when you do that and it doesn't really bring any hope or fruit because you still are stuck in the moment wondering, what am I going to do? How am I going to get through this? You only have one option, that's to go lean on the Lord when everything else fails. So her and I have learned that through life, that it's best just to get along with God and talk to God and trust him. And he's really the only one that can give us hope, which is true hope. I mean, you can get uh, manufactured hope and, you know, listen to other people and make yourself feel better. But only God can really give you that hope that's everlasting. And that's that's what her and I have learned through the years. Even pursuing our music career, there was a lot of dips and valleys and hopeless times, and we wondered if we would ever see the light. You know, after all the years of pressing on and pursuing our career, it was really only the Lord that helped us stay and maintain that place of hope because people and circumstances really don't, at the end of the day, give you, you know, the lasting hope that you desire. Well, you two have had an interesting journey because – you started singing as kids. Um, I was reading some of your bio. Your your mother recognized your talent really early, it sounds like. And and yes, I think that's so did. cool because, you know, to a parent, all kids are talented. But it sounds like she had yeah. a good ear and knew it wasn't just, 
you know, being proud of her kids, but she knew pretty early on that you two had talent. Yes, and, you know, Jason, uh, we love to be outdoors growing up. You know, we've got a lot of, a lot of other things to do. We play basketball. It's pretty, thing, pretty much a big thing we love to do. But she always found us, most of the time, doing something uh, pertaining to recording or singing. It didn't matter what it was. And we even have friends that have emailed us through the years and said, you know, my greatest memories of you two was sitting in the back seat driving two or three hours away from home, and you all taught me how to sing. Or, you know, we sang the whole way. And, and Jason, I just... We laughed because I don't really remember all that stuff that much, but to them it was a very lasting impression. So I think we were just always doing music. It was just an uplift to us. So you two must be like when you're driving down the highway and you look over to another car (laughs) and you see two women singing loud to the radio, but you can't quite hear them, but you can just see their mouths moving. Oh, I'm sure we probably are that way and don't even realize it. But I'll tell you what. Through the years, I guess, because we've grown as artists and we help mix and engineer all of our songs, we listen with such a critical ear now. <laughs> Sometimes I just want to be able to relax and listen to a song and not critique the drum sounds or what's going on with the electric or maybe the harmony should have been louder or lower. So it's kind of a a thorn sometimes because when we were younger, it was all about just fun and enjoying the music. But it seems like now that we're older, we're always in the creative mindset and I sometimes need to go back to that, you know, the simplistic side of music and enjoying just yeah. why we do the music, you know. Well, you had some really accomplished people in the studio with you when you recorded this. Uh, producer Danny Duncan, who's worked with Amy Grant, Bruce Springsteen, and your mixing engineer who had worked with a lot of, you know, Nashville greats like Dolly Parton and Blake Shelton. I mean, what's that like mm-hmm. to have, you know, these people, you know, looking out for you and wanting you to sound your best. You know, what was that collaboration like? Well, you know, it's funny because when you're dreaming of having those opportunities, it seems untouchable and, um, you know, impossible. But it's really strange that the ones that we thought were so untouchable and we could never reach, they've ended up being like family to us now. So, um it's really strange. We go in with Ed C., even though he's a Grammy engineer, and I think everything he's produced or had his hands in, you know, was Grammy status. It's so funny. When we're in there, we feel like we're in there with just a really loving, kind kind of mentor. It's it's ended up being so much deeper and more meaningful than what we thought it was going to be. And um, we look back and realize that it wasn't just about the music. I think it was about having relationships in this life and having an impact. And we've even had people that were very established in the industry say that we made an impact on them, just who we are as people, our creativity, you know, our integrity, how much we love God, you know, all those things have come into play. And we could have never dreamed. And Danny Duncan, actually, we still, even when we're not working on projects with him, we hear from him about every, you know, two, three months. And my husband right now is, starting a studio with him and going to start doing a lot of stuff outside of Lavending. So it's really kind of opened up doors for us to do other things other than just create our music. We're going to now have our hands and, you know, help another artist possibly in the future. So it's, it's grown bigger and farther than what we dreamed it would. Mm -hmm. When you're in the studio, how do you overcome like technical stuff? Do you guys get real hands on with the mixing board and all that stuff? Yes, 100%, and probably too much. 
<laughs> the engineer, you know, I'm sure thinking, just back off just a hair, because Jan and I are so creative that we know immediately, no, that's too, that's too loud, that's too soft. And if there's any hiccups, we immediately hear it. And Ed even told us one time, he said, I've never worked with artists with ears so keen to what's going on. You know, y'all just hear even sometimes stuff I don't hear. So we've always kind of been that way, just deeply focused into the production as well as the writing and the, the singing part. It's the mechanics of it. Because some people, especially, um, I won't say the divas, but there's the image of a kind of artist that kind of waltzes in, everything's ready, they just sing, and then they leave the studio. And then the engineers work their magic. But then there's another you know, type, the artist, that really wants to be involved in every aspect. Oh, yes, that's, that's definitely us. And there's nothing diva about us. You know, Jason and I, we've learned to be really humble. And we just feel like you get further in life when you treat people equal to yourself. And that's something that bothers us to see anyone that's successful to, you know, to act diva-ish or anything, you know, because we all have something to offer. You know, the engineers, the musicians, you know, the artists, it, it takes the team. So why anybody would ever get that way is, is beyond us, you know. Well, everyone sees the final success, you know, the dream of going into the studio with, you know, these high-powered people. But along the way, this was not instant, you know, you... You came from Oklahoma, you know, you finally went to Nashville, you tried that for a while, and a lot of people, you know, it doesn't work the first time, but it seems like, you know, you learned from that, then you return a lot more knowledgeable, so I'm just wondering, you know, especially for, you know, the young, wide-eyed, you know, singer-songwriters, you know, going to the big town of Nashville, what are the lessons you learned the first time around that have helped you succeed this time around? Well, uh, two things come to my mind. <clears throat> this is Jana talking to those who are listening. Don't Hi, Jana. I, lo- I love your name. Hi. It's Jana with one <laughs> N, so everybody knows. Yes. Yes, uh, I think two things that I would say is don't let discouragement overpower you because there's going to be a lot of hills and valleys, uh, especially if you're trying to present something that's a creative side of yourself. But there is someone out there always in life that will understand your vision eventually. But you may have to go through, you know, no's, a lot of no's sometimes. So, you know, if a door closes, we, J.C. and I have realized that sometimes it's not because a door won't ever open, but maybe it was the wrong door. You know, it's okay. A no is okay. And J.C. and I have always related that to, like, dating relationships. We both went through a long season. A lot of people don't know us being alone, waiting for a spouse. And we had to realize rejection is protection sometimes from, you know, not receiving the best. And I'm telling you, we can just, we could probably sit here and give you many testimonies of good doors that closed, but a better one opened if we sat and waited patiently and trusted God. So I would definitely say, you know, hold on to know that, you know, if you really know that you're called and you have something special to offer, It'll all pan out eventually if you just let God take the reins and do it for your life. Mm -hmm. Well, there are a lot of, you know, contemporary Christian singers out there, or if you want to say gospel. And, you know, that's a big industry into itself, although I think a lot of people in the mainstream aren't as aware of that. You know, how how Mm -hmm. do you reconcile the two? Because it seems like you have one foot 
maybe the contemporary Christian world and just one foot in, you know, the just contemporary mainstream music world. It, is it easy to kind of, you know, balance those two? Can you dip your toe in one or do, do you kind of get funny looks from each side? Like, you know, we don't know what genre to actually put you in. You know, when we first started out, that was a huge struggle for us. And we were like, do we need to just stay straight Christian and be worship leaders? Do we need to go just straight secular and not so much do lead with the Christian? But Jan and I decided years ago that we were going to be who we are and let the cards fall where they may. And um, when we finally came to that conclusion that we were no longer going to box ourselves in and be something that somebody else told us to be, and we were just going to create who we are and just let it grow wings and fly, that's when her and I finally got freedom in our music. And we didn't box ourselves in because you can't box yourself in and truly be creating the thing that I think God created you to create. And we kind of looked at it like, you know, why is it in the music industry you have to be either or? But, you know, you don't go into a doctor and say, well, are you a Christian doctor or are you a secular doctor? Are you a Christian teacher or are you a secular so it's like that's the one career where everybody wants to kind of box you in and label you. So her and I just decided, you know, if we write a Christian song today, we write one. If we write one more about love and a secular thing tomorrow, we do. And just let it let it do its thing, and then it will fall where it's supposed to. And we always knew that we were going to touch the secular market. I don't know why we knew that. As children, we talked about it. But we didn't stop writing the songs about the Lord and Christian things. So... I mean, it's kind of done exactly what we thought it would do. It's it's touching the secular world, but it's got a God theme in it. So it's always what we knew we were going to do, but we didn't know how to put it on paper and make it happen. So we decided we were just going to find the right musicians, find the right production team, and create the amazing music, and then let God do what it whatever he wanted to do with it. And that's exactly, we didn't sit down and say, okay, let's pursue all the Christian music producers we can find. We didn't do that. We just, we found albums that we loved that were either, some were secular, some were Christian, and we pulled up the names and said, you know, that that's another thing that young artists need to probably do. They need to go research engineers and producers and find the music that they relate to and then find the people that are in that genre creating that. And that's what we did. We just cold called Danny Duncan, and he heard a little small demo of ours and loved it, and that's, you know, when God's in it, you know, anything can happen. And we just went with our heart and what we knew we were meant to do, and it's just kind of done its thing. We haven't had to really make it go a certain direction. Mm-hmm. Well, Rapture's from, you know, a full album you did called Feel My Way. And, you know, I was listening to all the songs on that, and I definitely heard a lot of different influences, including, I would say, almost like a, you know, late 90s kind of mainstream, like Sarah McLaughlin almost. You know, some of your songs have a real edge to them, and I really like the instrumentation. So I'm just curious, you know, when you were growing up, you know, who were your idols? And when you went into the studio, you know, what were the songs and musicians who were on your mind? Well, um, I can tell you, Jason and I were never into, like, the individual vocal artists. We were always into bands, and the reason is because, like, the Bee Gees, the brothers, all the harmonies, Chicago, mm-hmm. they took turns singing lead, they had all the harmonies, Journey, and that is, those are probably our greatest influences, that's why we love harmonies. If you don't hear harmonies on our records, you're not listening to us, because, 
you know, back when we were younger, actually, Jace used to take the lead, and I just naturally would always sing harmony, you know, because there's two of us, and it's prettier when you have two things going on. So that's always just been the natural creativity of us, and the band we were drawn to were the ones that had the, all the harmonies Diamond and all the, all the movement, and Diamond Rio country, uh, that, I guess that would be our strongest influence, because you get to do the leads and all the harmonies, so it's what we love. Well, there's always something special about when family members harmonize together. You know, that, that's why there are so many, mm-hmm. you know, family groups like the Bee Gees, who there's effortlessly, their voices seem to blend. And, you know, mm-hmm. since you guys went to Nashville, I don't know, you probably listened to a lot of country, you know, growing up in Oklahoma, but you kind of bring to mm-hmm. mind, like, even as far back as, like, you know, June Carter and the Carter family singers. Mm-hmm. Do you take from a lot of, like, the old um, country family acts? You know, we didn't really grow up listening to a lot of those. I think later, as teenagers in early college, we kind of listened a little bit because we had friends. But um, Jan and I grew up listening to stuff like Leslie Gore. Um, okay. Believe it or not, the Statler Brothers, my dad, oh, yeah. that was his favorite record when we were, like, grade school, junior high age. And counting flowers, counting flowers on the wall. Remember that song? That don't bother me at all. We literally, I mean, for hours. I don't. I mean, I think those records finally burn out. You know what I mean? Because we'd listen for hours. And also another one, we'd get a. It's so funny. I can remember we'd get hairbrushes and we'd get in our bed and we would sing to Elvis for hours. Of course you did. <laughs> I bet he was probably had, listening to. Remember the Mandrell sisters? And they had their own show, yes. like in the. Yeah. Like, yes, what was it? The, Go ahead. I was just going to say Barbara Louise and another one. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, their names are. Uh, what was her name? Why can't we. Poor. I, isn't that sad that we don't remember the third? I know, and she was so pretty. Arlene. 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 Yeah, yeah. So Arlene, Arlene. There you go. Amazing. Poor Arlene. Yeah. Now, now she gets her recognition. Yeah. Thanks for remembering that. Yeah. <laughs> She was always in the other two shadow, and I thought she was the prettiest. You didn't hear me say that, but I just thought she was the prettiest. But I'll tell you another thing we love to do is we would sit on the floor at our grandparents' house every weekend and watch Hee Haw. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't wait for I couldn't wait for the part where the musicians would come out. Mm-hmm. You know, they always showcased a musician every week, and uh, that was my favorite part. Harmony group, though. Yeah, we liked the 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 bluegrassy kind of. You know, it's kind of funny. We didn't grow up listening to bluegrass, but later in life, I dated a guy, and he was obsessed with newgrass, which is a little different than bluegrass. They're, um, I think they're more phenomenal, honestly. And uh, I think even that was a huge influence on Jan and I. Right before we moved to Nashville, we started listening to Ruthie Skaggs and a lot Mm -hmm. of those bluegrass. And, you know, the harmonies in those bands are just the same deal, family harmonies, Mm -hmm. acoustic kind of sound of music. So. I think I grew listening to that. My boyfriend would make me listen to it for hours and hours and hours. So to answer the question, we have a lot of influences. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's nice that you can be influenced at every stage of your life. You know, the childhood yeah. influences, especially listening to you, what your parents are hearing, that kind of gets embedded in your mind, and it's just kind of effortless. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And another well, artist that we absolutely love, and we've been told we sound like, is uh, Karen Carpenter. Yeah. When we're live oh, in the yeah. studio, we've had engineers tell us that our voices have that timbre. 
So That's a very a high compliment. She is one of the all-time best singers, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she is. She's phenomenal. Well, what do you think of just the current scene out there? Not that you you know have to speak for everyone, but you know I especially like to see what's going on in Nashville. I know you know my mom and you know her generation. They think it's gotten too rock and roll or too pop oriented. You know, they're very much mm-hmm. the traditionalists. What do you think of the modern Nashville? Do you think they've assimilated too much, you know, West Coast, Hollywood, L.A.? Or do you think this is just the natural progression of the music? Well, I feel like the purpose behind the, they, what, the, what, they, what they do as far as stylistically, um, I, I don't agree with their morals and the way things have become, you know, because music at one time was, to me, a greater influence on people's lives and their morals, and I think that the music industry has gotten away from that. Stylistically, I don't think that matters because there's always going to be an audience that likes certain styles of music, but it is true that the traditional music years ago, you know, had greater morals and values. I think they need to get back to that, and that's one thing that JC and I really, I guess you could say, feel called to do, to keep the music what flows out of the spout of the music industry to be more clean and pure and the betterment of people's lives. And it, it drives her and I crazy to see artists, you know, influencing people in a negative way. You know, the music itself, you know, you can create anything, country, pop, rock, bluegrass, but if it's got a negative message and it's leading people to do things that are not good and ungodly, we just do not agree with that. So I don't think it's really about the style of music. I think it's the purpose behind what the they message. do and the message of, of who they're putting out. Because there's a lot of kids that follow things just because it's popular, you know. I don't think they even know really what's good and what's not good. And it's really sad. And Jason, I hope that we could just make one small little impact even to direct people in a right way with our gifts. You know, we truly feel that mm-hmm. God gives us all gifts and talents to benefit people in a positive way. God forbid we do something that leads someone down a road you know, to drink all the time or ruin their life through drugs or just immoral living. I just think that that's not good at all. Well, you said something really interesting on your website. Yeah, something to the effect of when you first went to Nashville, you know, there are people, I don't know if they're record labels or potential managers, but, you know, who wanted to, you know, turn you into a commodity. And I think that can mean several things, but in the end it's, you know, to, depersonalizes you or, you know, just wants to give you an image you're not comfortable with. You know, what were some of the ways that you were, I don't know, almost tempted, you know, to say, yeah, this could lead to success, but I just don't feel comfortable with it. Well, let me give you an example. Like when we go into a meeting, we met with some major record labels and it's like, they say, well, you girls are beautiful. We love your voices, but, we'd really want you to do something more like so-and-so artist. And they would immediately try to pigeonhole you and make you be the next Shania Twain or the next Reba. And, you know, being a true creative person, it just it sends red bells off in your soul, like, ooh, no, no. But part of you is like, well, if I have to do that to get there, maybe I should be that way. But at the end of the day, I don't know what it was. Jan and I always said no. We walked away if we knew we were sacrificing a part of who we were. And, you know, some of the artists that they wanted us to kind of emulate were more, 
you know, immoral and provocative. And um, we even tried to do the modeling thing, believe it or not. And um, well, we, got out. we got out of it because they started asking us to do risque, you know, coming half-dressed to stuff. And we were like, you know, once you you only get one chance to make a first impression. And once we're out there and we make that impression, we'll always be seen as that. And we stuck to our mission. And that was to do what God had asked us to do, and that was stay holy and stay right and stay integrous and create the music he wanted us to. But I'm not going to say that it's not tempting. But, I mean, it's like that scripture that says, what is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? And we faced that time and time and time again in our career. And we, we walked away from some amazing opportunities, but at the end of the day we could lay our head on our pillow and know we did the right thing. We lost a small battle here, but we're going to win the war. We just always told ourselves that. So it was hard. Well, we definitely live in a time now where people are disillusioned with, you know, the entertainment industry across the board, you know, several years into the Me Too movement now. And that's not just film. That's music and entertainment. And it just seems like it's such a big you know, carrot that they're dangling to say, hey, if you just do this, you'll be famous, you'll make money, you know, people will think you're the most talented thing in the world. And it just seems our culture uh, supports that from every angle. You know, kids nowadays, they're just growing up thinking, I want to be a YouTube star. That's all that matters is fame and money. And do you think there's just some kind of deep problems going on just across the board? Oh, I do, definitely. And I think that it goes back to all of our own gifts and things we can give from within ourselves. And if you're not doing what you're doing to benefit others in some type of way, your focus is already wrong. And you're not growing as a person. Yeah, and, you know, to get rich, to get famous, to get noticed, you know, and that's another thing, Jason, I really... God has humbled us through the years, through all the things we've been through. And, and he's like, you know, you can't live a life self-focused. You know, when you're young, that's natural. When you're a teenager, you're like, me, me, me. You know, we all go through that in life because I is all that matters. But God has shown us the greatest value in life is to give of yourself for others. And um, we finally accepted that. You know, it's okay if we're not accepted by everyone but there is, a, there is a group of people out there that we are to touch and bring joy and happiness and something to their life. And what that does is it takes the eyes off of you and the stress off of you. Because when you're me-focused, it seems like you get under a lot more stress. Yeah. And when you're outwardly focused, it relieves you of all that. And you know this is for others anyways, and if it's supposed to be, it will be. And if it's not, I don't have to worry about me anyways. Because we're not needing to be glorified. We want God to be, and we're hoping that what we do will lead someone to the Lord and let them know they don't have to carry those burdens. He can carry them. And if he has called you to do something, it will be for the betterment of others, and he will bring it to pass. Yes. Because he cares about people. You know, everyone always wants to play big venues, the stadiums, and go big, big, bigger. But it seems like the way you're wanting to reach people you could do just as well in a small club or just something more intimate. You know, where do you like to perform for people and how do you think you connect with them the best? Well, we honestly like going to the one. I mean, it'd be neat to sing in the big arenas and a great experience, but I don't think you can have the impact that you would in a small room, you know? 
It's just it's more intimate. It's more real. And we personally like to do acoustic sets way more than we would a big band sound. Mm-hmm. We could do it and walk all over the stage and swing our hips and do all that if we needed to. But we feel more called to do the more intimate settings. And, you know, a lot of people don't know this about Jan and I, but we had our own radio ministry. And it was just sitting there in that small cubicle with those earphones on talking about life and talking about why we wrote the songs we wrote and not knowing who was listening. There could have been only one person or a hundred, you know. It wasn't really about the audience or the crowd and getting the rage, uh claps and all that. It was more about releasing what was on the inside of us out to touch someone and hoping that it did. So we've even uh, at times ministered in small groups. And we told ourselves a long time ago we're not going to be focused on how many we're going to talk. We're going to talk about the quality of what we say and how we touch the one that's there with us. And it's really relieved us because I don't think your success is in how many people are in the room. It's the quality of what you say and how deep you touch that one or two people in the room that matters. Yep. So that's our mission. And we feel also called to the industry itself, being behind closed doors with the musicians and the engineers and the marketers or whoever was on our team, you know, talking to them about deep life situations and why we wrote the song. And even in that aspect, we feel totally relieved and accomplished and felt like we were doing what we were called to do because it wasn't about the the big crowds and the fame and the fortune. It's about who we're touching on the journey. And that's where we felt most called is the journey itself. Do you feel like your, your mentors to younger women coming into this business, especially ones who don't have a sister like you both do, you know, to look out for each other. You know, a lot of, I guess it's the classic Hollywood thing, you know, a young woman arrives in Nashville on a Greyhound bus with, you know, a guitar and nothing else and, you know, thinks she's going to walk into an office and be discovered by a, a record executive. For those young women, you know, with that dream that maybe uh, they're a lot more naive than you two are, um, do you mm-hmm. feel kind of protective of that? Have you ever been able to kind of give pointers or help young women and maybe give them some tips on how to protect themselves in this industry? Oh, yes, absolutely. And, you know, being a twin, Jason and I have always had each other. I don't know that I could even relate to just being all by myself, but I'm hoping that, that some things we've been through, if they ever go read our bio or just listen to us more, to know that, you know, you can make it through anything in life. Nothing in this world really can take you down if you have God in your life, and he'll pull you through everything. And there's a purpose in our pain. You know, Jason, I finally realized that if it was just to write a certain song or give a certain message through struggles we've been through, we know there's purpose in everything we've been through. And if you'll channel that for God and why he's given you the gifts he's given you, he will bring something good out of it every time. And he's done that with us, and he continues to do that. The opportunities continue to open for Jason and I because I believe we're we're showing people there's purpose in our pain if we lean on God and let him be the center of it. Yeah, and this is Jason talking. Um, something just dawned on me that really helped Shannon and I. When we did that, I mean, we showed up in Nashville. We were 20 years old, knew no one, didn't have our mom there anymore to lean on. We just had each other. But i tell you what really helped her and I is we got finally got connected with other young artistic minded people whether they were dancers or singers or you know had a dream per se they were dreamers and we realized 
to create a safe place with other like-minded young people like us that helped us not feel alone in the the struggles and the down days and the no's. And I would tell anyone that's going to be moving, making that move, they need to find a strong core of people, like-minded young people like them that are trying to reach their dream or whatever. Because I can tell you right now that is what gave her and I the foundation and helped us make it through those young years. Because if you're all alone and you're isolated, Mm -hmm. that's when you tend to go into depression and start doing things that are out of character and not who you are as a person. And even give up. Yeah, and give up as well. But if you have other people around you that are young, that are moving and shaking and going places and have a dream, you're more likely to stay on the path and stay strong on the path. Do either of you have daughters? I do. This is JC. I have a seven-year-old. And she's, JC, right now, when, she's obsessed with <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> when she turns eighteen and, and tells you she wants to go to Nashville to make it big, will you be happy and encouraging or will you think, Oh no? <laughs> well rethink well, this. I've actually talked to, yeah, I've actually talked to my mom and my husband both about that because I feel that day's coming one day. Because I've taught her to be a dreamer and that she can accomplish anything in life. But I've actually told myself I might be making a big mistake here, you know. I'm going to have to deal with that. But I just told myself if that day comes and I have to release her and let her go, that I'm going to just give her to God because I know it's going to torment me to know that she's going and I can't be right there, you know, helicopter mom protecting her. And mm-hmm. and I'm going to be looking for a best friend that can go with her. I can tell you that. I'm going to find someone that she can trust that's a good person because just to send her out there alone, I just would not have peace about that. But I'm never going to stop her. If she truly has a dream, and I know she's living for the Lord and she's doing right, I'm not going to hinder her. I'm not going to stop her. Because when we were young, both of our parents tried to talk us out of it and stop us. And they both finally let go and let us go do. And I don't think I'd be the person I am today and I wouldn't have accomplished anything if they had hindered me and stopped me. So I will not be the one that hinders her or stops her. The dream killer. I'm not going to be a dream killer. Jada and I cannot stand dream killers. Because, you know, well, the dream is what it, makes you want to get up and go every day. So It's very important to have a dream, but it just seems like if you're a little down on it one day, at least she has her favorite aunt for encouragement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, Jiley, I assure you, Jiley's probably not going to need me. She's pretty strong. <laughs> She's, like, extremely strong in every way. <laughs> She's different than me. Yeah. I feel like my daughter's a lot more internally stronger than I was at her age. It's really strange. Kids are so sophisticated nowadays, aren't they? They really are. You know, (laughs) growing up on the Internet, these kids are, I think they're like 10 years more mature than we were growing up. At at 8 years old, they all sound like sophisticated 30-year-old CEOs. He's you go size that way. Yes, you know, my husband has covered me through all the We've got two boys, and he'll go, we're in trouble. <laughs> I hear you. Well, we're not going to wrap up quite yet, but in a little bit. I could talk to you guys all day, but I want to make sure uh, before we're done that people listening know where to find you and your music online. Well, we have a, a lavendineband.com, and that's our band page. Um, you can go find pictures there, our bio, um, different things we've created, you know, lyric videos and our music. 
And then um, there's links actually on that page, I think, uh, if I'm not positive, I think that we have links on that page to get to our other sites, which is Facebook, and that's Lavendine Band on Facebook. And then we have a Lavendine Instagram that you can find us. But if you just want to type us in on Yahoo at the top or Google, you'll pull up, it'll pull up articles they've written about us and um, a few pictures. So you can pretty much go anywhere. If you just type in, uh, oh, yeah, YouTube, they can type in Lavendine Music or Lavendine Band on YouTube. And, uh, Rapture, specifically. Yeah, and the title of our song is Rapture right now. And then once you get in there, you'll find our YouTube page, and we have several songs on there that were released to radio. So they'll get to hear quite a bit and see quite a bit. Excellent. I did notice on your Facebook page, you know, all concerts are canceled because of the pandemic, but it sounds like you guys are doing a radio um, appearance next month. Yeah, we've got quite a bit of stuff going on right now. And um, we've recently had some really neat doors open for our music to be in TV and movies. We're sitting on the edge of our seat. We've had ABC, NBC, and HBO contact us and want our whole album in their music library. So that's just a matter of time, I think, people are going to get to hear Lavendine on a TV show or a movie. So we're thrilled about that. That's good because that's one of the things where you actually get paid for. Yes, yes. We're, we're thrilled. <laughs> we're just sitting on the I mean, <laughs> I mean, you get a song in a TV show, a movie, or even a TV commercial, there can be some good residuals there. Yes, and, you know, I've been touched by songs that I saw in little bits of movies and stuff. And, you know, that's, you know, Jason, I always want a greater audience that we can touch. And I just believe that God's going to open the doors for the, the lyrics of our songs even to touch someone that kind of wasn't expecting it. You know, we kind of feel like we're stealth bombers. We're going to go on there and kind of shock someone, you know. <laughs> like, me to need, they didn't know they had at the moment, you know. Because, you know, music has done that for me. I've been driving down the road and going through a struggle, and a song came on, I just had to pull over and cry my eyes out because it helped me, you know. And we really want to do that. We want. We hope that something about what we do will give someone hope and joy in a moment like that they're least expecting, you know. So how much greater for a movie or TV, you know, to just one little blip there of a song that gives you hope in your day, you know. Well, I was looking at your bio, and you have so many stories, but it's like the tip of the story. So I'm really happy that I get to hear the full story from you, directly from you today. And this is regarding one of your earliest public performances, mm-hmm. and it involves your grandmother and a storm shelter. <laughs> <That's so funny. laughs> Does that ring a bell? I remember that. You know, uh, we tell our friends that still this day. Uh, we would go when the storms would blow through, and where most people would be, oh, gosh, a storm. Jan and I would get, like, amped up, like, oh, good, a storm, because we knew that we got down into that community storm shelter that held probably about, I'm going to say 100 people could fit in there, but it was probably about 40 or 50 people on a uh, really busy, you know, night when everybody from the community came. And we knew somewhere in the night Grandma was going to pull us out and get us to sing for everybody, and we literally loved it. And we would sing for hours down there when literally there was tornadoes blowing over the top of us. I mean, it's some of my neatest memories of my childhood. And I don't know what it is about our grandma, but she really, really uh, celebrated Jan and I at that age. We were probably, I'm going to say we started when we were about five up until probably about 12 years old. It was just something that she always did. She wanted us, even when people weren't around, she wanted us to sing. But when the storm shelter came, it was time to go down in that 
storm shelter, Jane and I knew it's time. We need to get ready. Big performance coming. <laughs> So how did the adults react to these these cute five-year-old girls? It must have just melted their hearts. You know, they would always, always, you know, be like, oh, how do y'all sing like that? You know, but we, you know, we had been singing since we were out of the womb. Cause like, well, we thought everybody could sing like this, you know? <laughs> we didn't know that it was that big a deal. But what's funny about it, we started getting requests. Sing <laughs> that one. You know that one you sang? Near that, you know, we start getting requests. Oh, I mean, everybody was like, it was almost like we were professional, you know. Well, were you so was. used to? Well, I bet if you're so used to doing it down in the storm shelter that if you got to perform on a real stage, that probably seemed like the weird thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, and you know, just standing there singing live a cappella, which is how our friends love to hear us sing because there's no anything. It's just our raw voice and talent i mean i still have friends today that say there's nothing like sitting in a room with you two and y'all start singing acapella and um you know we kind of had to relearn and master the gift of singing with the microphone and then once we got that mastered then we had to learn how to be able to sing with the instrumentalists going with us and then we had to graduate from that to going in the studio and i had a friend of mine call me who has an amazing voice and he said i just had to call you and tell you that i'm amazed at you and Jan. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, I tried to go in and just do a little guitar, piano, vocal. And he said, Jackie, I couldn't do it. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, I don't know. That's just a whole new monster getting in there in that studio. And having to hear yourself coming back to the earphone. So it's like with each stage of our, our lives, we've had to master that stage of how to sing, how to sing with the music. You know, it's really interesting. But I think the reason we're so strong in our voices now is because of all those years of not having the music and us just sitting around singing and coming up with melodies and harmonizing with each other. So now it's just a no-brainer when we get in there. Well, kids are so fearless, and it's like when you learn something like that, before you you know get self-conscious, it seems like that's a great way to learn. Oh, absolutely. But if you master something as a child, you'll just go on and be successful. I just think that's, that's why parents should push their children. If they see they love something, they need to push them to do that. Don't discourage them because there's a reason. And you know, later in life they'll they'll have mastered it and they'll have they will have good success. Well, it's like when the kids complain about being forced to take piano lessons as a kid. A lot of times they're really happy they were forced because you know you don't necessarily have that discipline as a kid. Sometimes you do need a little push to say, well, try it for a year, and if you don't like it, then you can quit. Absolutely, and um, you know it's funny because my parents are both very driven, and um, they're both entrepreneurial type people and very successful. And um, we kind of watch them in life, you know, kind of shoot for the stars. But my mom said that people would just say, "Well, why do you force those girls to always do music, and why are you always making them be in all those whatever those, you know, those contests and all that?" And she said, "Listen." Uh, I haven't made them do anything. They drag me and make me go and be a part. So <laughs> Jan and I have never, ever, when it came to the music or basketball, we never had to have our parents say, go do that. We were literally uh, obsessed with it, mm-hmm. totally obsessed. For hours and hours, we would either be singing and doing music or going outside and playing basketball. And those were our loves, both basketball and music, but we both hurt our legs in our high school years. So, we were both being oh. recruited at the time for basketball to get a scholarship, and 
when we both injured our legs that last year, we both realized, well, maybe we need to put more focus on the music. But at that time, we were torn because we were both so mm-hmm. gifted at both. But I think it was just kind of a blessing in disguise because it forced us to go on and dive deeper into our musical gifts. But we never were. I've seen parents have to do that with their children, you know, push them. But it's like we just naturally gravitated toward those things. So my mom said she never had to. And at times it was too much. She said, can we just take a break? And we were like, no, we can't. <laughs> well, when you've devoted so much of yourself to to a sport, you know, to your basketball, and then you get the injury, what did that give you now? Because at the time, I'm sure it was devastating. But all these years later, you know, what did it teach you? And, and how do you bring, whether it was empathy or just acceptance, how does that help you in your current life and career? I feel like it's helped me to know that, you know, when you have closed opportunities, you can stand at that door and stare at it and cry and be depressed and kind of just throw in the towel. Because, you know, that was a dream of ours, J.C. and I both. But now I can look back and see where that closed door actually was an open door to a new season and a stronger focus to where I was probably called to the whole time. Not that I couldn't have had a career in basketball and done music, but it did something. It did a shift within in both of our focus and our spirit. And that's when Jake and I both really got focused on living our lives, not so much for ourselves, but offering others something. Because it was kind of like basketball was kind of more, it felt more like a selfish game. And music was more something we had noticed when we did it. We brought joy to others. So, I think it just it transformed us, honestly. It, it totally took us out of self and get outward focused. Do you think it's kind of like, you know, when you, you know, what is what is it, burning the boat so you have, you know, no other option but to go forward? Do you think that was like a turning point where maybe this is a sign, you know, we have to dedicate ourselves just to the music? 100%. And we both cried bitter tears over it. And I even tried the latter part of my senior year, Jana's injury came about six months after me. And what's interesting is every time one of us has gone through a trial, it seems not long after the other one. I don't know if it's a twin thing or what, but I really, really grieved because Jana continued on to play, and I was kind of on the sidelines a lot of times because they dragged me off the court. Because I continued to play even with the injury. I had a coach, a college coach, wrap my leg for me before every game and everything. And finally, um, I couldn't play anymore. I just told him I can't do it. And my coach stood up in front of the whole team and said, this is what a failure looks like. Don't be like her. She actually said that in front of the whole team. And, you know, I walked away from that knowing from that day on that I was never going to let what I would consider a mentor define who I am on the inside. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I was limitless at that point. It was not me failing. It was my body had given out, you know. So mm-hmm. I knew then, I mean, I'm not going to let anybody that is above me or a mentor stop me from believing in myself. And it helped me gain an inner strength when it did come to the music. So we know Those are some tough words from the coach. Extremely tough. And it shocked me because, you know, at that time, Jana and I were kind of the star of the team. Jana Mm -hmm. averaged 36 points a game, every game. And I averaged about 25 points a game. And then. Wow. Yeah. We both were, I mean, amazing athletes. And, I mean, we were great singers, and music was a really good gift of ours, but we had really mastered the basketball thing. You know, that was really where our focus was. And when she said that to me, 
another coach to me three or four days later and saw how down I was, and he told me in private, he said, J.C., I've seen you play on that leg injured for months and months, and he said, I've seen grown college guys that go into the pro, you know, basketball thing that could never play as long as you did and as hard as you did on an injury, so don't ever think that you're – so he came back later and told me that that was dead wrong, what she said to me. But, I mean, through our life, even in our music career, we've had people make those kind of piercing comments that could have shut us down. But I've always remembered in the back of my mind, you don't define me. You don't tell me when I'm going to stop growing or being who I am. So through everything, we both, I think our internal strength is probably a lot stronger than what people realize. And to go into this career, you literally have to have skin as, as an alligator. I mean, you can't go in scared of someone else's opinion or you'll never make it mm-hmm. well maybe in a certain way that coach prepared you for some of those sharks in nashville oh 100 percent. <laughs> which you can laugh about <laughs> now but it's true oh, yeah, and like i think strawberry shortcake now compared to <laughs> I mean, if i put her next to the sharks I mean, she's definitely <laughs> she's not near but in a way, isn't the final victory a little sweeter knowing that you have overcome some obstacles? Oh, yes. I, I'm going to be honest. Jason and I would not be so content right now with our lives and our career if we didn't have something to offer. You know, I just, we feel like we have something of value. And I think now that's probably our thorn because we're like, if you'll just listen to us, we can tell you something. You know, we can we can help you if you'll let us. But, you know, it's hard to get people to listen sometimes. But I hope they do and know that we've, we've had an interesting journey and we hope that we can offer someone something for their life, you know. Well, during this pandemic, which it's hard not to talk about it because it's everywhere, but I'm sure you've seen yeah. a lot of singers during the pandemic are doing a lot more singing online and YouTube you know, and singers is such a big thing right now, but also just in ways that not just that singers are singing, but they're offering much more personal music. And I think songs mm-hmm. that are meant to encourage people and to, I think, make pe- people connect more in a very personal way. So I'm just wondering, what are your thoughts? Have you been watching a lot of other singers during this time? Honestly, Jane and I are so focused on being, you know, wonderful moms to our children and helping our husbands with their businesses and then running our own record label. We don't really go outside of our, I don't know, I mean, I'm, I don't hope that doesn't sound selfish, but we're so focused on what we're doing in our lives that we don't really stop and take time to listen to other artists. But, I mean, it would probably be a good thing if we, be a good thing if we did that. But, um, or maybe you know, just to take a few notes. Because yeah, it, like, it seems like your fans would enjoy you doing that. Yeah, probably. Have you thought of uh, doing some kind of online, you know, um, what do they call that, a live cast on Facebook or um, yeah, even YouTube? Or, I don't know what they call that. Yeah, like a live Facebook or live Instagram. Yeah, we have considered that. that probably yeah, like a live concert. Yeah, because yeah, I think you guys would be really good at that because, like you're saying, um, you did your podcast or your radio show. I A lot of people are not just singing, but they're really talking to their fans or they're making new fans by just talking directly. And it sounds like you guys were really good at your radio show. I can just tell by talking to you, you guys are lively and upbeat and play off each other. Do you kind of (laughs) wish you could do more of that radio show again? You know, it's been in the back of our minds and our, uh, we've had people, you know, in our circle tell us 
they wish that we we would do more of that because Jan and I kind of have a we have a kind of a comedic side to our personalities that really comes out when you really get to know us. And we thought about you know doing something like that. It's a serious thread, but the humor, humor kind of mingled in there. I mean that's kind of who we are. So we need to probably do something like that. I think we probably would reach a lot of people because yeah. we love to mm-hmm. tell like the Sprite story we told you were spilled all over. We love to tell funny stuff that has happened to us in the day and just I don't know that seems to be like things that could get you really mad. We find humor in it. You yeah. know, we just we somehow <laughs> find humor in everything. I don't know why we just always been that way. You know. And, uh, well, it sounds that's what has helped keep your sanity in in show business because if you can't laugh about a lot of this stuff and you just let it fester. You know, the mm-hmm. disappointments could just eat you alive. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's no wonder, Tracy, and I, we don't question why people have committed suicide in all seriousness. You know, I'm like, well, well, yeah, I mean, I felt like committed suicide 10 years ago, of course. But luckily I had God on my side, and he let me know that's not the way, Jenna. I've got a better way. Yeah, yeah and there's a lot at the end of the tunnel. Every dark thing you go through is yeah. There is a flip side, and there is coming a sunny day. You know, yeah. not everything stays horrible forever. You know, it gets better. Everything always gets better with God. Yeah. Well, I think in your own way, you two have done something. The equivalent of the YouTube pandemic um, live concert. I think back in that storm shelter, you guys probably originated like this whole concept. You were like the low tech version of that. And yeah. what I'm curious is, do you remember any of the songs you used to sing down in the shelter? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was one, do you remember, lollipop, lollipop, lolly, lolly, lolly. Remember that one? You know, everybody knew that one. That was one of them. We did lollipop. I'm on the road again. Just can't wait to get on the road again. We did that one. <laughs> we did a little harmony to that. And then there, do you remember the group, the Forrester Sisters? I do. We had friends all through junior high and high school beg Jan and I to sing that to them constantly. That seemed to be the song they just loved for us to sing to them all the time. And I remember singing that one a lot, a whole lot. I Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. I'll sing a little bit more. Oh, gosh, we don't remember it that yeah. well. Do the lead and I'll do the harmony. Uh Fell in love again last night. Well, you keep doing everything just right. I don't remember the next. Every morning my heart keeps beating. Every morning it keeps repeating. I fell in love again last night. I fell in love again last night. I don't oh, it's beautiful. Wrong. I can it's totally see how that that would have soothed me in the storm shelter. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> see, how could I'm they concentrate? You, the first time we've done that in probably twenty-five years. <laughs> well, you got to put it back into your live show. Probably. <laughs> Where are you singing out, Liam? Sure. <laughs> that our dance was. So now, when you had the, now, when you had the storm shelter thing, I know you guys were born in Kansas, but you mostly grew up in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Yep. So where where they was the storm shelter? We were shelter? born in Kansas. Do what? So where was the storm shelter, Kansas or Oklahoma? 
It was in Oklahoma, and my granddad at the time was a principal or superintendent, actually, of a school out kind of in the mountains of Oklahoma. And um, they had back then what was called community storm shelters that they would usually put close to the schoolhouses or okay. close to church, close to churches. And it would be just like it looked like a big grass mound. And this one was probably about 100 or 150 feet long and probably about 30 feet wide, and then it had a door at each end of it. You could go down in there. Like a tunnel. It was like a big cement tunnel that went under the ground. And, I mean, they would use that back in the old days. And I don't know how long that storm shelter, it still to this day sits on that plot of land. But, see, my grandparents at that time, they would house people that ran the school. They would give them a home to live in, kind of like they do at universities. You know how they'll give them a school or a home to live in next to the university? like the dean okay. or whoever owns the school. And um, they had a real nice home right there on the school ground. So there's probably about 20 families, 20, 25 families that lived kind of down in that valley. It was in Myers, Oklahoma. And when a bad storm would come rolling through, everybody from the community would come to the school, and Grandma and Granddad would open the storm shelter, and we'd all go down in there. And it would be the same playground we'd play on by day, and then when the storms would roll through at night, we'd run down in that storm shelter. It was really a neat childhood. That just makes me think of that scene in The Wizard of Oz when the the cyclone's coming and there's that kind of door going down to the cellar and the wind's blowing so hard once it closes they can't open it. Mm-hmm. Yes. We that? experienced that. Yes. We wow. literally experienced that. Yes. And well, you two must be fearless. See, I yes. bet you, you were so young you didn't even know to be frightened. When I bet the adults were probably more frightened than you were while you were singing, and you just took everyone's mind off of their fear of the storm. That's that's pretty powerful as a five-year-old. Yeah, and you know what's funny, because I was talking one night to a friend of mine that's known Jan and I for years and kind of watched some battles we've gone through, and he said, you know, what is so weird about this? Because we got to laughing about Jan and I singing in those storm shelters, and I told him, you know, something just dawned on me. I think being God was teaching Jan and I to sing through the storms of life that when things got really bad and dark that we could go get along with God and sing and worship and it would carry us through every storm and it was almost like a prophetic symbolism of what we were going to go through in life and that our singing ability and desire was going to literally be what carried us through the storms. Yeah, and then like he said, we would help others bring peace in their storm. Yeah. Yeah, that's happened, yeah. And you've carried that through all these years later to your mm-hmm. single Rapture, which I think yeah. you can listen to it on sort of a metaphorical level, but there's also a very yeah. literal level. And I think you even have, you know, a quote from the Bible in it. Yeah. Yeah. We so, do. so, so what's that quote? Is that something? Is that um, book of revelation says, kind of? Uh, yeah. When he splits the Eastern sky. He will be seen by every eye, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Scripture is in there. So the song, do you mean it to be heard on several levels, both, you know, the verses, you know, can, I think, apply to a lot of different parts of life. And then, you know, you bring it to the very literal Bible verse. Um, How would you like people to hear the song and interpret it? Well, uh, 
the best way probably to describe that is God has revealed to Jason and I that God is in everything. He's in our everyday life. He's in the spirit realm. He's in the future. He's in the past. He's in the present. So we feel like when God inspires us to write a song, he wants us to meet people where they're at in a physical sense, but also in a futuristic prophetic sense too, you know, biblically. Because God, God is God. You know, I think people, music industry, TV, movie industry, whatever, they try to put God over here in like a Christian box. But God, the way Jason and I see it, you know, back when I was little, chewing bubblegum and dribbling the basketball and humming a little song and singing to God, because I was, because I saw the clouds and the sky and the trees, God was there. I didn't consider myself in a Christian box, you know what I'm saying? So when Jason and I write a song or do anything inspirationally of God, we want it to meet someone right where they're at. And it's universal. It's not like... It's really strange. It's like our songs take you on a journey from where you are, where you're going to be, and where you're going. We feel like that's what our songs do, and that's kind of how how we live out our lives. We're focused on today, dreams for tomorrow, and we've got a plan if we get there tomorrow. It's really strange. We've lived our lives out kind of how we write our songs. Yeah. Well, with what's going on in the world today, obviously the Internet just goes crazy with speculation and you know if you go to forums and chat rooms and just hear people talk there's a lot of people who are frightened out there and i think when they mm-hmm. see you know unrest and you know a pandemic i think that's a time a lot of people think oh gosh maybe there is something to the bible or you know it's just hard not to hear things out there saying wow there there's some things going on today that sound you know very biblical i mean what are your mm-hmm. thoughts on that Oh, yeah, we definitely. See, you've got to realize we, J.C. and I, since we were both about 17 years old, really started seeking uh, beyond the here and now because we had a best friend of ours die in a car wreck, and that's very traumatic. You know, looking back on that, at 17, 18 years old, that's when you're just now kind of getting, moving into your adult-type situations, and it was such a halt. You know, she's gone. Where did she go? Where's she at? So, we were raised in church, but it was like we were met face-to-face with what's beyond here. And it brought us hope to know that Roxanne was her name. She went on to heaven, and we're going to see her again. So then we got on our our knees, and both of us prayed that we would live a life more focused on that. So after all these years of serving God and seeking, God has really revealed to us, and we feel like in our spirit that the coming of the Lord is real, the Bible is real. God is real. All of that's real. There's and a culmination going on. Yeah, and we need to be focused on that because there are things that Jesus himself talks about in the Word of God, and they are literally coming to pass. And the only reason you might not see it is if you just were literally not looking into the Bible or paying attention. I mean, to, to us, so obvious. And I'm so glad some people are being shaken out of their slumber, like, oh, my goodness, this this thing's weird. Is this really true? Is this Bible says true? I mean, I think that's wonderful. God is shaking people awake, kind of, to see the reality of it. Mm-hmm. And it's so timely, I think, you know, that you are putting out a song called Rapture when, you know, there is all this unrest. I guess what I'd want to, you know, close out with saying, even though, like I said earlier, I could talk to you guys forever. But um, <laughs> we appreciate it. Just to say, you know, you've got a platform through your music. You've got a platform through this interview. Hopefully a new platform when you resurrect your radio show as a podcast. Yeah. But 
you know, since in the end, so much of this is just about communication and reaching people. And it sounds like you are both very dedicated and very, you know, firm in your conviction. What would you just want to tell people out there who have been intrigued, you know, by the fact that you did a song called Rapture and that you're, I think, in a world where it does seem to be harder for people to be openly Christian. And sometimes they don't really get featured in the media. You know, those aren't the titillating news stories that seem to be posted on Yahoo and out there. So now that you have a forum and, and no censorship, you know, what would you like to tell, you know, young women today who might see you as role models of, you know, what can we do with our lives and, you know, how can we be fearless with our convictions? Well, the first thing I would say, and this is coming from experience and learning, that typically when your life goes with the majority, with the broad path, where everybody seems to be going, it's the opposite of where you need to be going. And Jane and I learned years ago that we really need to be swimming upstream instead of downstream. And what I mean by that is, the only reason Jane and I have made it here and we're being able to do what I'll call the clearing call or this song about the rapture is because we continue to stay on the narrow path and we went against the grain and we came up against the resistance, but we kept on going. We kept on going. And it's so easy to step out of the resistance and go with the flow. But I don't believe that if we had, first of all, that God would have been pleased with us. And second of all, I don't believe that we would be standing here today talking about this song and that it's reaching the world. I know that we wouldn't have because there were many times that Jan and I could have backed away and taken the easy path. And, I mean, that can go for anything in life. When you choose to live for the Lord, his path is always the opposite of where the crowd's going. And But it's hard to be in this industry and not go with the crowd. And her and I, I don't know what it is. There is a firm foundation on the inside of us that we get that no, no, no feeling that looks good, but we're not going to go that way. We're going to take this path over here that really not a lot of people are going on. And it's really strange. When you step out and make that decision with God, it's the most amazing thing. God will literally bust the gates open for you. Uh But it's not immediate. He has to test you to see if you're going to go and do what he's asked you to do. So I would tell anyone that's stepping out into a dream, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be music. It can be anything. Don't let the crowd drag you to where they're going. Choose to stay on the narrow path and the path of resistance because you're going to reach it, and everybody's going to look up and go, oh, my gosh, how did you get there? And look where all the crowd is. They're way over there, and you're over here. Go ahead. I wanted to say something, too, so we can both uh, kind of finalize here. Um the greatest in the kingdom of God is a servant. Jason, I realized that. And you can't get anywhere as far as great success with God if you haven't learned to serve. And a lot of people don't know this. I don't think they've even written this in our Bibles, but Jason and I have served many ministries. We've done prison ministry. We've done, um, gosh, Jason, we've what led worship at other churches. Yeah, we've led worship at other we churches. We ran children's ministries. We ran children's ministries. We, we worked in the children's ministry when people didn't want to. We, I mean, you name it. Gosh, the list is so long. And um, cleaned houses. Yeah, clean houses. We We're did big multi-millionaire. Yeah, we we did street ministry. We served, and um, I just feel like servanthood is what keeps you humble. And there's no big eyes 
in God's kingdom. And if people will learn to serve other people and make their dreams come to pass and help others succeed, God will have your back and he will help you succeed in the thing he's called you to. That would probably be the greatest thing that I would leave. Just stay with the servant's mind and trust in God to elevate you if he so chooses with what he has within you. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Do you mm-hmm. have a favorite church hymn that you could close the show out with and, and hear some of your harmonies? Um, Jesse Joshua, the same one. Um, which one? It could be a short favorite? one. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think. I love it. Um, the, the or it could be a long one, too. We sing it all the time. Yes, oh, gosh. You got to realize when we get into worship, it just kind of flows with us. We don't um, have to sit here. I love the, the, the lifter in my head. Um, for thou, Lord, are a shield for me. You're the glory and the lifter of my head. For thou, O Lord, are a shield for me. You're the glory and the lifter of my head. There's another one we know better, Justin. This is, um, many are they increased to trouble me. Many are they that rise against me. Many are they that say, there is no help, there is no help for her in God. For thou are a shield for me, you're the glory and the lifter of my head. Yes, thou, O Lord, are a shield for me. You're the glory and the lifter of my head. Well, that was beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Well, again, I've so much enjoyed hearing your story and getting to know you guys a little bit. The band is called Lavendine. It's sisters, JC and Jana. And I just hope that Rapture from your album, Feel My Way, gets lots of airplay reaches a lot of people and i just hope that you know going into 2021 that you guys cut a gospel album we appreciate that you're not the first person that told us that (laughs) 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 well well you guys uh take care stay away from those storms and um i'll be i'll be looking for your next music online okay thank you kelly so nice to meet you 